I don't know how many of you uh, played a particular game that we played when we were kids. It was built around a, a, a specific product. And uh, that product was basically you started with a decent netting. And you attach that netting to some springs around the outsides of it. And then those springs were attached to some poles that hopefully were secured to the ground. And if so, you were ready to play pitchback. I don't know how many of you played pitchback as a kid. I'm sure it's still out there. You know, they may call it different names. But uh, to be able to, to be in, enjoy that game, right? And of course, with pitchback, what would happen is you'd take the ball, you'd throw it at the netting, and uh, if all went well, you know, it, it did what you intended it to do. Now, of course, I was talking to Mike about it, you know, it wasn't always made the greatest way, and if you weren't accurate, and it could go through the hole, and now you got to go chase the ball and things like that. But the way it was designed had a little strike zone in the middle, and you're trying to, you know, for me, I was Woody Fryman. You'd have to be, most people don't know who Woody Fryman was, but, you know, th th for a Phillies, throw in there. And uh, you throw hard against the pitch back, it'll come back at you hard, right? You throw a little lob, it's just going to be a little lob, and you'd learn your pitch back. What I mean is you'd learn kind of how it's, it's tilted, and if you threw one high, it might come back to you as a grounder. If you threw one lower, it may go up more as a fly ball, those of you who played it, right? But the idea was with a pitch back, basically what you threw at it was going to be what was coming back at you. Now, uh, I, I wouldn't normally speak on your behalf, except Scripture allows me to, that you have a sin nature like I do. <laughs> and my sin nature wants to live life according to the game of pitchback, right? What you throw my way is going to come back at you. Whatever mistreatment you decide to, you know, toss my direction is going to be impact what comes your direction, right? The only problem with that is that it results in multiplied wounds and broken relationships. And uh, maybe you've already experienced it today, already. On your way here, or in your house, or I don't know. Someone spoke words that were meant to hurt you, and you already had an arrow on the bow, and you shot it right back before you ever even gave it a thought, and, and two people were wounded, right? I saw this week that um, Topol, uh, I think he was the original Tevye from Fiddler on the Roof, uh, he passed away this week. And one of my favorite lines of Fiddler on the Roof is when one of the villagers shouts out, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And Tevye says, very good. And that way all the world would be blind and toothless, right? You know, that, that, the, the results that it would bring us to. Well, we're going to see today that the Lord points us to another way by the example of Paul. Paul, at least in this moment, chose not to play pitchback. And God wants to lead us away from that game. And so I can't do that, but the Holy Spirit can. So let's, let's ask him to. Almighty God, I thank you. I believe this letter that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. Spirit of God, you inspired it for us. And so I ask you to, to give us that heart of John the Baptist. You must increase. We must decrease. We come from many different areas and schedules of life and, you know, surroundings. 
but we all need your assistance, Spirit of God, to transform us and to uh, give us victory over where our sinful nature would want to take us. So I ask you to do that in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, just the first six verses, and then we'll move from there. The Apostle Paul writes these words, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. I want to begin thinking about a word that may not be literally written here, but it's described. And it's the word incoming, incoming. Now, when I say incoming to you, uh, you may think incoming mail versus outgoing mail. You may think incoming flights versus outgoing flights. But when I say the word incoming, my mind goes to all those, you know, army movies that I've watched from childhood through adulthood, right? And when they're there on the battlefield and you hear that whistling sound, incoming, incoming, right? <coughs> Sorry, I have to be careful not to strain my voice because uh, I don't want to. Anyhow, incoming, right? And here it comes and they duck and they jump in their foxholes and they cover their heads with their helmets and after it's done, they look around, who's okay, who isn't? I'm talking about that, right? Now, odds are in your home, in your neighborhood, nobody is launching mortar fire, you know, on, onto your front lawn, right, or, or toward you. Uh, but the reality is this. You have incoming mistreatment, and you know that. And you cannot protect yourself from all of it because you may receive mistreatment in your home. You may receive mistreatment in your work. You may receive it at school. You may receive it at church, Right? mistreatment when it comes our way Paul is speaking specifically here about the mistreatment that he is getting from those who have rejected the gospel and it is coming toward him because he is preaching the gospel there are voices in our country today that have hijacked uh, and they could even be ours They've hijacked kind of the meaning of suffering mistreatment because there are some people in our country today who kind of believe that if you don't affirm their particular choice of lifestyle, if you don't affirm their belief system, then they are a victim suffering mistreatment from you. That's not what we're talking about. We got to be careful as the church, as Christians. Because I've heard Christians even before speak 
as if because the world is living somebody so against God, somehow I'm suffering mistreatment because of that. You're not suffering mistreatment because someone doesn't affirm your faith in Christ, right? That's not what Paul's saying. Paul is not saying, you know what, we shared the gospel in Philippi, and, and boy, they hurt our feelings. You know, we, we were really discouraged. They, they mistreated us because they didn't believe the gospel, and, and they walked away from us, and, and we're really struggling with that. You know, I, I'm not making light of, there's very real psychological, emotional mistreatment out there. I'm not, what I'm saying to you is I want you to see what Paul is dealing with. It is very real suffering mistreatment. As a matter of fact, if you look at the words he uses there, uh, in, in verse 2, the word suffered is the Greek word propasco. The word mistreated is the Greek word hubrizo. And both of them are, they're, they're up on the intense level, right? They're both not just, uh, you know, you know, simple work. They're, they're very, they're, and it's an intense mistreatment. It's an intense suffering based on the hatred that Paul was receiving. Now, I said when we talked about Paul the letter writer that sometimes when you're looking at a letter, you're not sure what, what he's talking about. We don't have to wonder here in verse 2. When Paul says, after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, we don't have to go, gee, I wonder what that was. Because we have the book of Acts. And so we can hold our place in 1 Thessalonians and go back to the book of Acts. One of the reasons we studied all about kind of Paul leading up to this is his journey, right? And in Acts chapter 16, Paul goes into Philippi with the gospel. And so when he says we were mistreated there, and you know it, we don't have to guess. We can read about it. Verse 19 of Acts chapter 16. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone... They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. So they've gone in sharing the gospel. There was a woman uh, that was possessed by a demon. People were using her and abusing her and using her for profit. Paul cast the demon out. Now they're angry. We can't make any money off this woman anymore. Just another, listen, the human race has sought to use and abuse human lives since, since it all began. There's nothing new today, right? Maybe different ways, but nothing new. And Paul sets her, her free in the name of Jesus. And now they're angry. And look at the words that are used there. They seize them and they drag them. Paul says, it isn't that they just walked away and said, we don't believe what you're saying. If I share the gospel with 100 people and they all turn their backs on me and walk away, I have not been mistreated. I have not suffered mistreatment. They have rejected the gospel of Jesus, right? But that's not what they do. They come at him. You know, I'm, you know, it's been a while since I have been seized and dragged. But it has happened in my life, you know. It happened, I can remember, across the street in grade school when the teachers were allowed to seize and drag. And I can remember being in a situation where one of them knew just where to grab the back of your hair and, and lift just enough that, you know, dragging you, your feet were moving, but there was a, definitely a seizure and dragging aspect to it, right? I can still feel it, right? But, but it doesn't end there, right? In verse 22, and the crowd rose up together against them. 
And the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. What do we have happening? We have a crowd gathers around them. Now picture you're, you're in the middle of this. Here they start coming, right? The crowd is, is gathering around you, and they're hostile, and they begin to attack, and the leaders rip your clothes off, and now they beat you with many rods, many times, and, and several of them, right, are beating you. And then they take you, and they throw you into the inner prison, into the filthy part. The, the rat-infested part, and they put you in, in stocks which are meant to cause a lot of pain and kind of in bad positions torture-wise. The ESV study Bible says this, the entire process was a miscarriage of justice since there was no fair hearing to ascertain the facts or to allow Paul to speak on his own defense, right? <laughs> Clearly, Paul has a reason. When he says in 1 Thessalonians, you know that we suffered mistreatment, he has a solid reason for saying it, right? And we know how it affects us. I was reading an article this week. Uh, maybe you, you've read it as well. I think it was, it was on some prominent sites uh, about a, a case that is in front of the Supreme Court right now. I don't know if they've decided on it. When I read it, it was in front of the court and it's regarding social media platforms, TikTok, Facebook, these different sites. And can they be held liable for when someone uses their site to bring vicious harm to someone who's innocent? And so in this particular case, it was an account that truly happened. A, a, a woman, a middle-aged, blonde-haired accountant, in Hatboro, went into uh, Amy's family pizzeria, and she was videoed on a vicious racist rant. And she was, it, it was, listen, it was, uh, before I address the aftermath, it was ugly, it was horrendous, it was disgraceful, uh, and it was dealt with by law once they tracked it down. But, but, but it, it, so, so know that, you know, when I, when I move away from the case, the, the case was horrific and needed to be dealt with, okay? The problem is you have a lot of hypocritical, arrogant, you know, uh, social media vigilantes who decided they're going to bring about, and they misidentified three different blonde-haired, middle-aged accountants, and they literally just started looking at accounting firms in Hatboro. Oh, that looks like it could be the woman. They searched. They came up with their home addresses, their cell phone addresses. They put them on. They bombarded their businesses. This business is hateful. They're racist. They're, and, and, and these. Uh, the article literally went on to say, I have a quote here, the, the release of their phone numbers and homework addresses exposed these three women to threatening phone calls and emails that left them fearing for their jobs and their safety right? So you have this hatred coming at you, and you were innocent. I wasn't the cause of it. It's unfair. <clears throat> that kind of mistreatment can do what? Well, one of the women tells us, for she said this, I would never have hurt someone like that. 
I used to be open to the world, but now I'm closing my doors. And think about what she's saying. She's not talking about her business. She's talking about her. I used to be loving and kind and caring and accepting, and I have suffered mistreatment that is changing who I am. I am now going to close off my life from the world around me. When you suffer incoming mistreatment, it is hard not to let that impact you. I'm not talking about practical decisions, okay? If you're being, you know, there is no place for domestic abuse, physical abuse. If you're suffering that, you know, there's practical things to get out of that situation and to bring that to an end. I'm not talking about not taking practical decisions when we suffer mistreatment. I'm talking about our hard attitude. What happens when we're mistreated? It can harden you. It can make you callous. It can make you resentful. It is so tempting to pitch back incoming mistreatment. It's just so tempting. That's what Paul has suffered for the gospel. Just for sharing about Jesus, he has been beaten, stripped of his clothing, and attacked and thrown into prison. But somehow Paul does not shut himself off. He, 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 they are well aware that the mistreatment that he got did not impact what he brought to them. And there's a key game changer, and I, it's a second word that I want us to look at, and it's the word uplifting. Uplifting. That what was incoming to Paul did not immediately pitch back into outgoing. There was a process in between uplifting. And, and hold your place. We'll, we'll see the words there as we read them in Thessalonians. But just look at Psalm 3. Because David had learned the same process. David had learned how to deal with incoming by uplifting. In Psalm 3, David says, O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him in God. Now listen, I just want to be, 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 make sure things don't ever get taken away from what I'm saying here. If you have a group of friends and they all turn their backs on you and walk away, you've suffered mistreatment, Okay. you've been mistreated even though they didn't beat you up, right? But what David is talking about is what? These enemies, they're not all just leaving me. I'd be thrilled if they left. They're coming my way. They're coming after me, Lord. And, and, And they are saying that there's no escape for me. There's no way out. And what do we read there in verse three? But thou, O Lord, are a shield about me my glory and the one who lifts my head. You're my uplifter. I was crying to the Lord with my voice and he answered me from his holy mountain. What's David saying? David's saying there's incoming mistreatment, but God has the ability to lift my head to him and I can uplift the mistreatment I'm getting that's incoming, but I can uplift it to God before It's outgoing for my life, right? That's the same thing that's happening here in 1 Thessalonians when Paul describes what's happening inside of him. I did some training. Uh, I 
I'm not a trainer. Like, I, I was there as the police chaplain. I was involved in training that the police department did for the Maple Shade Township offices, for our administrative offices. And so it was this week we were in there, and one of the things as a chaplain is sometimes, I, I hope you don't mind this, I'm the bad guy. I'm the guy that's coming in with the knife for, you know, for the training, and, you know, uh, I'm there both to... to comfort them if they've been upset by the training, but sometimes I'm the one who upsets them <laughs> in the training, you, you know, in the role, role playing. But on this particular uh, scenario, we're trying to help them be aware of what to do when an irate, you know, person comes in their offices. It's happening more often than, 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 than before, but when someone comes in the office and they're seeking to cause harm to someone, they're angry enough that they brought a gun, a knife, and it doesn't have to be the person who made them angry. And in they come. And so one of the things that the trainers was teaching them about is something we call the ODA loop. And you may be familiar with it. You may not, depending. But the ODA loop stands for O-O-D-A. O is observe, then O, orient right? And then decide and act. And so what we've been told by those who study human beings and, and the behavior of these individuals is that there is an ODA loop that they go through. So they walk into the office, they observe. Those three doors are closed, those two are open, and so they orient themselves. If I want to cause harm, it's going to happen quicker if I go to the doors that are open than the doors that are closed. And then they decide to take that go that direction and they act on it and part of the training was to try and help employees know that you can disrupt that ODA loop by doing something to cause it to reboot and what that is that we were training them is throw things at this intruder throw a stapler throw a bug throw a pair of scissors throw your your, your iPad throw things at the intruder because what happens is it literally causes the intruder to once again do an ODA loop. Now, I don't mean they, they go, hang on a second, let me think this through. But I mean in, in that instant, they now are observing something different. They're getting hit with things. They observe, they orient. The process happens again. And studies are showing that they are much more likely as they do that ODA loop again to move on to the next office and to move on. They are, you have disrupted their ODA loop. Now, because it was training, we told them to bring ball, you know, pairs of socks to roll up in a ball. As I walked in, I don't want to get hit with a stapler, you know, so they threw balls of socks at us for the training purpose. My point is sharing that, not only I believe it's good information for you, wherever you may be, uh, right? But I, it also illustrates what, the Apostle Paul displays for us, the same thing David displays, that what? That God interrupted, in essence, his Oda loop, right? That instead of just responding, he had new information by how? By taking his incoming mistreatment to God, by lifting it up to God. Paul knows when we're mistreated, Jesus wants if I can use it, to interrupt our ODA loop, our observe, orient, decide, and act. And if I can even be sillier, if you need practical ways, 
when you have been mistreated, picture Jesus hitting you in the head with a ball of socks or whatever, you know. I don't mean that sacrilegious, but my point is, if you need practical things to help, you know, to, when you are feeling, that was so unfair, before you pitch back, see Jesus interrupting and saying, hey, you belong to me. You better lift that up to me before you send out any outgoing responses, right? Lift it up to me, that mistreatment that you're experiencing, right? Paul clearly uplifted his responses to the Lord. We see it in these verses. What does he say there in chapter 2 and verse 3? He says, our exhortation does not come from error, impurity, or by way of deceit, right? In other words, that we, we, we are taking internally, with these words are, are internal words. Deceit, it's not by deceit, right? He, what does he say there? Verse four, we weren't trying to please men. Verse five, we weren't responding with greed. All these happen within us, internal. Now listen, you know, it, 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 we're talking about particular area, mistreatment that you get. Paul specifically about that mistreatment that comes for our faith in Christ. And that's primarily where I'm going, but it can be mistreatment you receive in many different ways, right? Our human nature wants to pitch back. He says, not with deceit. Sometimes deceit is part of that, right? You know, that, that all right, I've been mistreated. Let me, I, I can think about, you know, I've referenced going go the grade school across the street. I was the shortest kid in, 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 in you know, almost every, I can't think of a grade where I wasn't. You know, I've, I always was. But, but what I mean is I remember getting bullied. I remember a particular event. That guy was a foot taller than me, probably 50 pounds heavier than me. And he was two years older than me as well. And my pitch back back then was deceit. Oh, you beat me up, but I know where your bicycle is. And so I took a rock and I smashed all the spokes in his bicycle wheel tire. You know, just went, you know, you're not going to know who, where I'm coming from, but, and I did. And you may say, we're very disappointed in you. Well, that's all right. You know, that was, that was my pitch back to that event. And that's what our nature wants to do. But Jesus could interrupt it. Paul says, look how Jesus interrupted us. We uplifted it and it changed inside of us. Verse 4 that we wanted to be approved by God, right? Not pleasing men, but pleasing God. Our focus was on the fact that God examines our hearts. What's he say at the end of verse five? God is our witness. We were mistreated by the world for sharing the gospel. We didn't get angry and bitter at the world. We didn't make it about us and our response. We took it to Jesus. We uplifted it to God, right? Peter calls us to the same thing. If you look at, he writes it some years later, but first Peter, toward the back of your Bible, chapter two, right? He gives us very, uh, words I've read before, first Peter 2, 21, for you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. 
And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. What's Peter saying? Remember this, and I say it to you today, not knowing every one of you. The worst thing you have ever done, Jesus Christ took it upon himself and was crucified for it. More than that, the worst that you were ever capable of but have never done, Jesus Christ took it upon himself and carried it on the cross. Listen, God demonstrates his love toward us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I don't care what you've done and what you carry. I'm talking about mistreatment. You may be thinking, ah, I can think of terrible ways I treated people. I can think of deceitful things I've done. Yeah. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, come to Jesus. Jesus Christ went to the cross to give you victory over sin to set you free. If you've never done it, Lord Jesus, I, I surrender all of my sin. I put my faith in you. I believe you paid the price. Save me. Come to Jesus. Because that's what Peter's drawing upon. Peter's not saying, hey, just do the best you can. Picture a, a dove flying across the sky before you respond, you know. But, you know, to picture, picture a nice meadow scene. Those things can help, you know. But he's not, he's saying, draw upon the Savior who you mistreated. I mistreated Jesus. I, my sin is what put him on the cross. Look at the Savior. And when you're mistreated, you lift up your mistreatment to him. Lift it up to him. We sang this morning, right? He's a pain taker. He's a pain taker. Do you believe it? Not just your physical hurts and aches. Do you believe when you've mis mis mistreated and hurt, he can take that mistreatment from you if you lift it up to him? I, uh, uh, my wife Greta and, and, a, and, and a couple other ladies went to a, uh, they went, went away yesterday to a, to a, a, not a retreat, anyhow, an event to, to hear a speaker. And, and uh, so yesterday I was battling a head cold. I hunkered down about, I don't know, uh, mid-afternoon with my good old Ben-Hur movie. And I don't mean the new one. I've never seen that. I'm talking about the, the, the four-hour, you, you, you know, Charlton Heston, you know, film. And, and in there, Judah Ben-Hur suffers horrible mistreatment, and he just carries this hatred that he wants to kill the Romans, and he has this beautiful woman that wants to be in a relationship with him, but she's trying to tell him about Jesus and how one, Jesus is, 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 is showing her a different way, but, but he won't let go of his hatred and anger. And, you know, the great scenes at the end, right, at the end, when Judah Ben-Hur follows Jesus to the cross. And he comes back to his home, and he comes back, and you can just see an entire different countenance on him. And he walks up to this woman, and he says this, almost at the moment that he died, I heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Even then... And I felt his voice take the sword out of my hand. Whew. Have you experienced that? 
I, 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 you know, I, it's not, that's not a biblical account. It's a realistic, historical account. But in those moments when you have been mistreated, do you believe that Jesus can take the pitch back out of your hand, right? That's the outgoing that we can respond with. The incoming mistreatment, but when we uplift it to the Lord, he can take the pitch back out of my hands and allow the third word, outgoing treatment. What does Paul say in verse 7 of 1 Thessalonians 2? But we prove to be gentle among you. And, and that word but is important, right? But instead of how we were treated, we uplifted it, and what happened? We proved to be gentle among you. As a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having thus a fine affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you may not walk, so that you may walk in a manner <coughs> worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Outgoing. One writer says, they had come to Thessalonica in a lowly, perhaps even mangled condition from Philippi where they had been severely mistreated. Instead of pressing on to Thessalonica, Paul and Silas could have turned around and headed to port, setting sail back to Antioch with their scars still throbbing. But they don't. Remember this, when they come to Thessalonica, there's not a group of believers there waiting for them. That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's not saying, you know, after we got beat up in Philippi, how we came to you believers and we found such camaraderie. No, there was nobody saved there. What Paul's saying is, remember how we got beat up in Philippi, mistreated, and when we came to you, we had no idea how you were going to respond. No idea who was going to believe the gospel and who was going to beat us with rods. No idea. But all you know is this. We didn't pitch back what we got before. We came to you in such a gentle way. We came to you in such a caring way. You know, that little phrase he uses there, you know, took on new meaning to me when Greta, you know, gave birth to our first son, Vincent, and she was nursing our son, Vincent. And I would watch and be just amazed at, it. this wasn't just... Oh, yeah, sometimes she was just exhausted, like, okay, come on, you know. But, but usually it was this tender, awesome moment where she would be, he, Vince would be nursing, and she'd be, oh, I got to clip that nail. Look, he scratched himself here. What's going on down here? He's got a little rash on his leg. She, it, was this, it was this moment of tender gentleness. And I remember watching and going, wow, that's what Paul's talking about. We came to you with such tenderness, such focus on your lives. 
In other words, you know, we, we didn't come, you know, w- w- defensive and angry, right? W- what he says there in verse 8, having thus a fond affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. You know how we came. We came treating you with the love of God. You know, we have that great Old Testament story, uh, and, and there's meaning and purpose in it, I think, right, with Gideon, and which, which of the people, as they, as they knelt down to take water, kept their spear in one hand while they got water with the other, right? And we went, yeah. But, but that doesn't really fit my mind of what Jesus has called us to with the world around us. Give them the gospel, but be ready for battle if you need to. You know, like, yeah, you know, I, I don't sense that's what Jesus, yes, ready to battle sin, our own sin, ready to stand for, for, for God's righteousness. But when we go in there, right, when, if, if our heart is, well, I've been hurt before. So we, we, we went into the Philippians, we went in with full love. We're going in with about 30% right now, just in case. Let's see how they treat us. It's just, why? Because mistreatment affects us. Well, Paul says, that's not what we did. We went into you the same way we went into the Philippians. Why? Because God made the difference. We lifted it up to him. He turned us, and he removed that pitch back, and he gave us the ability. What was outgoing was from the Lord, right? It was from the Lord. Paul was doctrinally sound and personally compassionate. And I think our nation today is in a great spot to see Christians who are doctrinally sound but personally compassionate. To see people who are not willing to give up the truth but also not coming at them with anger, right? To be compassionate and loving and caring and yet stand on truth, right? Not angry Christians who are ready for a turf war, but compassionate Christians who know that this turf we're on is temporary. But not compromising Christians, but Christians who will stand for the truth. That's what he said there in verse 11. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Can it be tough sometimes to figure out the tension? Yeah, you know, we're American citizens. We get to live in a country where we get to voice our and vote and these different things that we would do to seek to have morality and, 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 and care for people at all, uh, supported by our, our laws and, and government. Yeah, but we also have to keep that in, in, in focus with what? That this world is not our home. And we have an eternal kingdom that we've been called to. And there is a world that is lost and needs to hear the gospel from us, right? That, that, oh, my wish would always be that the unsaved friends I know, that they would, if if if, if, if they were asked, what do I stand for? It wouldn't be what I stand against. It would be who I stand for, Jesus. Not compromising. Standing on truth. But, oh, that we would show what? Love. Show compassion. Because Paul's words make it very personal. Chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, you yourselves know. Verse 2, 
he says, uh, what there? That uh, after we had suffered mistreatment, excuse me, verse 2, you, you know what it is that we experience. Verse 5, you know, he says what? We, we never came with flattering speech, as you know. Verse 9, you recall. Verse 10, you are witnesses. Verse 11, just as you know. What's Paul saying? I'm not, I'm not perfect. But you know God did it in my life. And if he did it in my life, he can do it in yours. Incoming, uplifting, outgoing. It's not easy. We're going to stumble. We're going to fall. But may we allow Jesus to disrupt our sinful response and to show the world his life in us. Let's pray. Father, oh Lord, you know when I look at this in my life, I can be so aware of my tendency to respond, to observe and orient and decide and act before I have ever uplifted to you. I ask you, Lord God, Holy Spirit, use this passage to make us more like Jesus. Oh, Lord, let our responses, particularly to those who mistreat us for the gospel's sake, Lord, in any way, uh, let our responses, Lord, to, to our mistreatment, wherever it comes from, let them be lifted to you. As we sit here right now, Lord, you know the hearts of people. I don't, and I don't need to. Let them surrender the thoughts that are coming to their minds right now, the, the scenarios, the situations that you're knocking on their heart's door. I pray it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.